This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. This is from Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Jesus said, Again you have heard that it was said in those, to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. The second reading is from Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. My child... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and abundant welfare they will give you. Do not let loyalty and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be a healing for your flesh, and a refreshment for your body. Honor the Lord with your substance, and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. My child, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves the one he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Holy Scriptures, their precepts, promises, directions, and light. In them, may we learn of Christ, grasp his truth, and have grace to follow in his steps. Amen. Please sit down. I want to ask you a personal question to start off with. Are you living life to the full? One of the most memorable films of my childhood was, or my young adulthood, really, 1989 it came out, was Dead Poets Society, starring Robin Williams and directed by a Scots College old boy named uh, Peter Weir. Uh, and any resemblance between the school and the movie and Scots College of the 1950s and 60s is purely intentional, I think. It's the story of a maverick teacher in a boys' school called John Keating, who awakens his students in their imaginative and daring potential as individuals, in contrast to the rigid conformity of the school. 
the boys form a secret club called the Dead Poets Society, which opens with a reading from the American writer Henry David Thoreau. And this sums up their philosophy. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to put to rout all that was not life, and not, when I had come to die, discover that I had not lived, to suck all the marrow out of life. It seems like a noble desire, doesn't it? To live life to the full, to feast on life's possibilities, to have life in its abundance. And it seems like the least likely path to doing that, to living that life, is to turn to God. Now, since the 19th century, religion has been painted as the antithesis of joyful human living, a restrictive, controlling and oppressive force in human life. Just think of how it comes across in The Handmaid's Tale, for example. Faith in God might be fine for those who don't have anything anyway. It's a substitute for what they don't have, a source of hope when hope is missing something to keep the losers happy. It's for the poor or for the old, the people who have nothing to lose anyway. But when the world is your oyster, as it is in the eastern suburbs of the greatest city in the world, then who has time or space for it? But the book of Proverbs has got a very different take on how the world works. It says that actually the best way to live, the most completely and delightfully human way to live on God's earth, is to trust entirely yourself to the giver of your life. The life of faith in God is not a denial of life, but a full embrace of it, the most enjoyable and beautiful way to live. To trust in him is to suck out all the marrow of life. Now in today's passage from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, we're to imagine a father sitting down with a son and telling him how the world works. Look, son, he's saying, if you want to live the good life, and I can imagine lots of fathers here have sat their sons down for just this kind of chat. Maybe they do it regularly. Uh, if you want to live the good life, then the truly good life, says this father to this boy, is not found in freedom and self-indulgence. It's not found in maximizing your pleasure and in minimizing your pain. It's found, it's not found in expressing yourself and fulfilling your potential. It's found by living on God's terms. This world runs to the rhythm of God's wisdom. So be wise with his wisdom, and it will benefit you. If you want to be healthy and live long, if you want to be prosperous and to have a good reputation, what does he say? Trust in the Lord. In this short piece, verses 1 to 12, chapter 3, he makes six observations which are also promises. They are promises that remind us of the promises that God made to Israel in the book of Deuteronomy about their life in the land with him. 
where the Lord promises that they will live well if they are faithful to him and keep his law, follow his precepts, live according to his pattern. First in verses 1 to 2, the father says, Son, if you keep my commands, if you listen, if you're obedient here, you'll live a long and abundant life. And then in verses 3 to 4, secondly, he says, Pursue loyalty and faithfulness, and you'll have a good reputation with God and with people. In particular, he means not just loyalty per se, but loyalty and faithfulness to God and his commands. Your faithfulness to your promises, your honesty and integrity will mean that you are a trusted person. Thirdly, in verses 5 to 6, if you trust in God, he will direct and guide you and smooth the rough paths of life. Instead of trying to untangle the knots of life yourself, trust in him and he will. Fourthly, in verses 7 to 8, if you fear the Lord and turn from evil, then you will receive healing and health. It will be good for your body. You'll feel it in your body. You will feel, and I love these verses, healing for your flesh and a refreshment for your body. Fifthly, in verses 9 to 10, if you honour God with your wealth and your possessions, then you will have prosperity. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be overbrimming with wine. Your cellars will be filled with Grange Hermitage. And lastly, verses 11 to 12, if you welcome the Lord's discipline, You'll know the benefit of his love. You'll know that you are a child in whom he delights. It's a holistic picture of the good life, isn't it? The good life will be yours. How will you achieve it? Not by grasping onto the things of this world, but not by trusting in your own strategies and devices, but by trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding. Pursue the Lord's teaching and the abundance of life will be yours. Health, prosperity, longevity and honour. But are these promises true? Is this the way things work? Is it true that if you trust, that to trust in the Lord with all your heart will bring happiness and health, wealth and honour? Surely experience tells us that it doesn't always work like this. And I know enough of you here to know that it is not necessarily working in this way in your life too. There are Christians living in grinding poverty in some parts of the world. There are Christians who do not experience healing of their bodies. And I've conducted enough funerals to know that. There are those who are pursuing faith in God but do not find that life becomes less complicated or that the knots of life become untangled. And so do these verses promise too much? We might be tempted to say, look, if a Christian isn't experiencing these blessings, then it's because we don't have enough faith. It's because we're not... We're obeying God in our life. There must be some corner of your life where you're doing the wrong thing. If that's so, well, then we need to just believe harder, pray harder, do more. But if that's so, then what would we say about the life of Jesus? Living the wisest human life ever lived and yet 
Did he see long days? No, he was killed at the age of 33 or thereabouts, jeered at by the crowds. How was his reputation? Dishonoured by his own people, put to death by the the governing authorities, jeered at by, by those around him and who lived a life of apparent homelessness and poverty. We're going to have to pick at this knot, this puzzle, just a little bit harder. The first thing we should say here is that the promises of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, are partially and incompletely realised in our experience. That is, they do work out in human life, mostly. When we speak in general terms, these are truths that work, all other things considered. The God-fearing life is a better life. Sometimes, sometimes it is the case that if things go wrong, it is because we have not been wise. The research seems to bear this out, by the way. According to global research conducted by the Pew Research Centre in the US, very reputable company, research company, 45% of actively religious Australians describe themselves as very happy whereas only 32% of the the inactive or unaffiliated do. It's a 13% difference. A study of 9,000 older Europeans by a company called Erasmus MC, does sound like a hip-hop artist, uh, in partnership with the, uh, but but is not apparently, uh, in partnership with the London School of Economics, so again, very reputable research, and not conducted by some church organisation, but independent, found that the single activity that was an indicator of sustained happiness amongst older Europeans was going to church. In 2018, uh, a study from the University of Ohio in the US found that people who regularly attend religious, religious services live approximately four years longer than average. So it's not just that their lives seem longer, it's that they are. An article in Psychology Today notes, as a group, people who attend church regularly are healthier than those who stay away. They lead longer lives, have more robust immune systems, lower blood pressure, and better recovery times from operations. People who pray report less stress as do people who sing and people who give generously and people who meet together in community with others, all of which you can have here on Sunday in an hour. (laughs) So who is really living well? The scientific answer is likely to be active religious believers, generally speaking. Even when bad things happen to them, they are observably more resilient But hang on, you might say. Look, the promises of Proverbs seem to offer something more than just generalities, don't they? And that's right. Surely these are divine promises. They come to us from God's word. And we're expecting more than generalities from God. We're expecting more than most of the time as a result. God wants us to trust in him wholeheartedly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And is he saying that his commitment in return is most of the time? Generally, it's better. Well, that's where our second observation needs to come in, which is 
The book of Proverbs also gets that life is complicated. Life here under the sun is complicated. You get a hint of this in verses 11 through to 12, 11 and 12. We may experience, it says, we may experience the Lord's discipline. There's not a promise of an entirely easy life here, but of experiences that will teach us a sometimes painful humility. And there are also many sayings in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible that observe that sometimes it's the wicked who get wealthy and sometimes the righteous who stay poor. For example, just to take one example of many, Proverbs 18.23 says, The poor plead for mercy, but the rich answer harshly. So these rich people are clearly not righteous. Riches are not, we mustn't make this mistake, riches are not a sign of righteousness, just as poverty is not a sign of wickedness. That's a moral trap we so easily fall into. If you're poor, it's because you're to blame, we say automatically. If you're rich, it's because you're good, and so we listen to the rich for moral advice. Now, sometimes that is true, but sometimes that is definitely not true. The wicked may well be rich. The rich may well be wicked, and the righteous may well be poor. Before we raise it as a complaint, Proverbs itself already knows this. Life is complicated. The promises of Proverbs 3 don't always get fulfilled in this life, which is our third observation. The book of Proverbs knows that there's life beyond this life. What matters is how things will turn out. We need to look to the end of the story. The scope of God's promises extends beyond the grave into the life to come. His promises are not simply for here and now. They are for eternity, not just for the span of our mortal life, but for eternal life. In chapter 12, verse 28, Proverbs says, In the way of righteous there is life. Along that path is immortality. Or in Proverbs 10, verse 2, Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value. You see, they may have some value in this world, ill-gotten treasures. You may acquire them, but righteousness delivers from death. The partial fulfilment of these promises that we have in the here and now acts like a promissory note for us for the future. Even as our experience in this life is of much blessing from God's hand when we follow his wisdom most of the time, we also have the hope of something more, a complete fulfilment of all our longings in the life to come. And funnily, funnily enough, this makes our complex and difficult experiences in this life more bearable. I think it's a clue as to why people of faith are more resilient. It makes our enjoyment, too, all the real and intense because we see the true goodness and beauty of things as they really are. God gives us, in his wisdom, new taste buds for living. And Jesus confirms this. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance, 
or in some translations, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I think he means not just lots of it, but a real quality of life. And I think he doesn't just mean a quality of life, but he means lots of it. This quality and quantity of life, a sucking of all of the marrow out of life, is what Jesus has come to give. And how can I have this abundant life? Well, Jesus shows us that God has kept his side of the bargain. Even death itself, the ultimate leveller and defeater of life, was not an obstacle for him. He rose again as a sign that God's promise of eternal life is not some vague hope, not some ethereal thing far off in the future, but a powerful reality that's been inserted into human history, a reality into which we can now live. So I ask you, do you want that abundant life? Do you want to suck the marrow out of life? You need to do what Proverbs chapter 3 says. God is true to his promises. Will you keep your side? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways, day by day, acknowledge him for your successes and achievements, for the blessings you enjoy. Acknowledge him. Continue to trust in him in everything you do. Don't think you know better than God how your life is to be lived. Humble yourself before him and he will lift you up. Keep the commandments of God as, as your first priority, not just as a, suggest, a, a, a list of helpful suggestions, but as things that are given to you for your good. They're given to us because they are a better way to live. God's commands keep us from wrecking ourselves and others with the material things that you've been blessed with. Honour the Lord. If you've been blessed with a windfall, for example, offer it to him. Make the building of God's kingdom with the things that he has given you. The first line in your budget, and not the last. Do you turn away from evil or do you flirt with it? Do you dip your toe in the water, as it were, when it comes to evil? Are you faithful and trustworthy? Is, is your yes, yes, and your no, no? Is your reputation amongst others good? Are you known for your reliability and honesty? Do you pay back your debts? Is your loyalty as a friend good, known? But ultimately, is your loyalty as a friend not something that trumps your loyalty to the Lord and his ways? Is your loyalty, perhaps, as a friend such that you will call your friend's lack of wisdom to their attention? Life goes better with Jesus. Not because bad things won't happen. They do. But that's not the promise here. But in Jesus, your experience of life will be transformed by hope. You will have the beautiful freedom and joy of living in anticipation of eternal life 
as an anticipation that spills over into this life and gets, gets you salivating about the world to come, about what it is to live God's life. And you'll be brought into a community of people who are likewise anticipating, looking forward with all their hearts to this abundant eternal life and seeking to live in it here and now. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.